You're listening to The Itch. My name is Casey. My name is Dan. And I'm Aaron. And this week we are scratching the itch for some nostalgia. Last year we did an episode called 10 Turning 10, where we discussed 10 albums that were that year turning 10 that that kind of meant something to us. And this year we're going even farther back and we're going to do 10 that are turning 20. 2002 was a big year for us. It was the year we all graduated high school and started college, which is like a major, major transition in a person's life. And where there's a lot of things that are memorable. And so we each found a few albums that were particularly memorable to us and kind of captured this moment in time. And we decided to bring those to the table tonight to talk about. All of us actually in 2002 had graduated and went to the same college. That's right. Linwood University together yep. uh, and and kind of started on our path to, uh, I guess, intervene and do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Technically, 2002 isn't when the itch started, but it is when the itch met. Yes. Collectively. Some All some had us. known each other in advance, but yeah, yeah. the bigger picture. Yeah. And so here we are. Indeed. I wanted to start with the album Believe that was released by Disturbed in 2002. It was their second album, Disturbed as a band with David Draymond. And they, you know, when they released Stupefy and, and The Sickness, they were huge. They blew up. Every song that was released off that album was just a big, big single. So they had a very high anticipation that was built around their second release, and which ended up being Believe. It didn't live up to some people's anticipation, I will say. Uh, you know, even Dr- Draymond himself kind of expressed concern over how fans re- would react to the vulnerability and the vast expression of emotions showcased on the album. Uh, I, I absolutely love this album, and I think one of the reasons why I loved it is because of that. Like I was, you know, going through a lot, obviously as as a teenager (laughs) going into college, dealing with life. But one of the things that that made this a very emotional album for Draymond is right as they had ended their tour with Sabbath, when they actually Sabbath canceled their tour, I'm sorry, Disturbed was opening for them. They were planning on doing Ozfest while headlining their own tour. So basically what ended up happening though, is that Draymond's grandfather, who was an Orthodox Jew, he passed away in Israel. And so he was just dealing with a lot of emotions at the time. Not only at the same time that that happened, he was also dealing with the vocal cord uh, damage that he had. Um, A lot of people might not remember that, but yeah, back in 2002, he almost was to the point where he never was going to sing again. He had vocal cord damage that was causing uh, acid to spill onto his vocal cords. Wow. He had surgery in two thousand in late two thousand one, and you know, thankfully, it was very successful. And a lot of people actually think that uh, it might have broadened his vocal range. Yeah. Um, and so, kind of going into that that album, everybody knew that it was going to have to be a different album because he he couldn't do the you know the screams. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody <laughs> believed that that's kind of what tore his vocal cords. But I mean, I don't know if that was the case or not. But everybody just thought that that might have been the case because you're doing that night, night overnight, overnight. I think that changing his vocal style worked out for him because you know they just released the Sound of Silence cover. Uh, which he basically poured his emotions and and every vocal, (laughs) every bit of range he had in his vocal cords into that song. And I think that this album was kind of the start of where he, you know, he ended up getting to that point. Yeah. Especially on the last track, darkness, just kind of a, a soft, like acoustic sounding song almost. Yeah. A lot of people compared that to, uh, I think it was Godsmack's song voodoo. Yeah. Like it was kind of the same style, very dark, type of style songs is what Mm -hmm. i was trying to say yeah one of the things i think that really drew me to this album was the song remember in a lot of the lyrics and stuff because i was kind of going through a lot spiritually and i still think that this was right around the time where i found like what i believed in basically in my life not that this album like helped me get there but i think that just hearing different perspectives and hearing his perspective on stuff with this album definitely helped me kind of choose my own path as well this is definitely an album where that was a big theme of exploration that they were going through. Even just looking at the cover art on the front, you can see that. And then a lot of the track titles allude to it as well. One single word track titles, by the way, which is yeah. one of those weird little things that I take note of <laughs> when you see a, a theme like that. Reminds me of Smallville. Every episode of Smallville was a yeah. one word title. 
for 10 years. Right. (laughs) Disturb was probably watching a lot of Smallville. I think there was some overlap in these titles, actually. (laughs) I didn't know that. I just made I just made that connection up. True thing about Smallville, though. But yeah. Yeah, I didn't didn't know that. Well, then the funny thing about this album specifically is there's one track that's explicit and it's the one track that we definitely cannot play on the radio and that would be liberate <laughs> which was actually the third single and i thought that was stupid at the time because <laughs> half the words in it are the fucking f-bomb and then it's like just half and so then like you get to hear it is like it <laughs> like it just sounded stupid the whole song. <laughs> so they released because they, they released three tracks off this prayer, which is obvious. Remember, which was like my favorite track. And then they also released Liberate, which is you're just like, which should be the one why? track that they didn't release. Yes. Like, for one, I, I'm a huge fan of when bands release the title track too. like Believe is a great song. And, and I I personally thought that would have been like the most obvious like third release. Mm. But, you know, what I, what do I know? Yeah. Yeah. I love playing what single should you have released. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's one of my favorite games with, with old album. Going back and looking like, here's where you went right. Here's where you went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometime we'll have to do a whole episode on that. I think we mentioned it before. <laughs> Songs that should have been singles. <laughs> or maybe songs that shouldn't have. So you could put Liberate in that category if you want. <laughs> yeah, the album did fairly well. I mean, it hit like number three, or the singles anyway, hit number three in the mainstream rock tracks and alternative songs. And it certainly did well enough to establish them as somebody who was going to stick around because, uh, you know, the sickness was huge. Yeah. And then this, you know, maybe this didn't live up to that, but it, paved the way a little bit for 10,000 fists, which also ended up being pretty huge. You know, these guys are one of those bands that people still pay attention to today, which not that many bands like of this style from this era, you can say that about. So. Yeah, they're definitely one of the heavyweights of our genre. And uh, I think this, album, yeah, like you said, yeah, you're definitely correct on that. This was definitely a good stepping stone for them in the right direction. And they solidified it with 10,000 fists. Yep, definitely. All right. My first album is another band that the genre, I'm going to say it's a little bit different. If we're being honest, most of what we're going to talk about tonight is going to fall into that sort of like alternative metal realm. And I guess this kind of does, but they're also, if we're getting into the more rock subgenres, they're kind of what is called post hardcore often. And that is a Swedish band called Blindside. And uh, they released an album called Silence in 2002. It was their their first major label release it was on Elektra. They'd had a couple albums before that on other labels. And it was their big breakthrough in the U.S. Peaked at number 83 on the U.S. Billboard 200. It was produced by Howard Benson, who was coming off of a whole bunch of Grammy nominations for his work on <laughs> P.O.D. Satellite the year before. And in this same year, something that we don't talk about that often because it's not quite part of our narrative. Um, Howard Benson produced the original version of Skin Dreads Babylon. Yeah. We didn't discover Skin Dread until 04, but technically Babylon existed in 02. It just, it went through a couple of different versions before it like started going to US radio. So yeah, you could thank Howard Benson for working on, on all of these albums. Silence was a huge one for me. Blindside was one of my kind of big three POD at the time, POD being one of the other ones and an album I'll talk about in a minute being the other of the three. Bands that were buddies, they toured together, they supported each other. They all had some similar worldviews, although kind of different takes on how they went about it. Blindside is a very earnest band. Their their lyrics are uh, pretty straightforward, I think, and simple in how they how they do it. So yeah, this album, it led to their biggest single, which is a song called Pitiful, and also a couple others. There's a single called Sleepwalking that has a great video. One thing I loved about this band live was that there would be a part in the show every night where the guitarist and the bassist would do cartwheels together, like at the same time. And like, I believe they landed in each other's spot, like on the stage, <laughs> it's like switch places doing cartwheels. And I thought that was the funniest thing. So yeah, these guys were pretty active. I also have a connection to blindside because we started doing interviews for the podcast here, maybe a year and a half ago. Christian Linskog, the lead singer of blindside was the first interview that I ever did. And that was when I was working for a magazine called relevant in 2005 as my senior internship for college. 
So yeah, so I got to do a, a phone interview with him and a full feature write-up that was really cool and just a, a very memorable thing. I'm not going to say I did great on the write-up. I wasn't particularly, <laughs> I, I have much more skill, I think, in those things today than I did then. But And there was a bit of a funny story because originally the interview was going to be with Simon, their bassist, but he was getting bad reception and the fact that they're Swedish <laughs> meant that even though they speak English, there was definitely like some extra layers of complication and communication. So finally he was like, I'm just going to have you talk to Christian. And then so <laughs> we called Christian instead and did the interview with him and double fun fact. I was really hoping I would have great news about this right now, but I don't, <laughs> I, I saved Christian's phone number in my phone in 2005 <laughs> and have never touched it, but I just keep it there because I thought that was great that I had it. <laughs> He so randomly, we, randomly call it like 15 no, years later. Well, sort of. <laughs> I, whenever we decided we were going to do this episode, the other I texted texted that number the other day and I was like, this wouldn't happen to be Christian, would it? Because I'm like 15 years later, it could totally not be his number anymore. <laughs> I didn't hear back, but if I do, I will let you guys know <laughs> because just, I wanted to just see. Just call it, man. He's just like, oh. it. he's like, he's, new, new phone, who dis? Who it is? He, said that. He, he says it in Swedish. Yeah. I don't even know what the time zone difference is there, so I don't know if I want to if I want to mess with that. But it's probably uh, eight to ten hours behind us. I'd have to time in front of us. I have to time that. Right. Call him at one in the morning our time. Like, listen, I saved your number fifteen years ago on my phone. This is. I'm not. I'm. I'm. Okay, I'm a little bit of a creep about it right now. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally creepy. So, like, do you want to do an interview with us or <laughs> <laughs> not even reach out to like his Instagram or Twitter account? And no, like, I'm, I'm going straight to the point. <laughs> I'm calling the man up. No, but I don't I, I think it's probably even not his number anymore. But I, would, all, I would assume not. All that to say, like Blindside, they kind of f- fell off and became really reclusive they've released yeah. like one song in the past like eight years or something like that <laughs> yeah actually it's the past decade uh their last album was 2011 but i want to but i want to put this out there for listeners um if you're the kind of person who is interested in furnace fest which is a rock festival in birmingham alabama <laughs> okay september the same weekend as louder than life um blindside is going to be in the u.s performing at that one <laughs> And so, like, it's an incredibly rare opportunity to see them. So if, if you had a soft spot in your heart for them like I did, there you go. Here's your in. There you go. Yep. Probably would still lean towards going to Louder. But uh, I'm not going to lie. I, I did some Google mapping the other day. To trying to do both. <laughs> to calculate if I could spend a day at Louder Than Life and then a day in Louisville or Louisville and then a day in Birmingham. It, it would be it would be too much. Yeah. <laughs> But it would be so cool if I could, though. If I were in my early 20s, I'd probably give it a shot. Because <laughs> I did crazy things like that then. And buy like a red-eye flight? Maybe. <laughs> Actually, I didn't even look at flights. I was looking at driving. <laughs> All right, we'll talk, we'll talk about this off air. <laughs> knowing knowing some, uh, some people with a plane. That's right. <laughs> private, private plane. <laughs> so that's my take on Blindside, which, which leads us to... KC's first first band, first album. Yes. I was going to start off with Songs for the Death by Queens of the Stone Age. I mean, this, this album is so interesting in so many ways. Number one, you have Dave Grohl on drums, which that's just insane in and of itself. Not just that he's playing the drums, but also the fact that he was already working on One by One. So... All that going on at the same time is pretty crazy, more yeah. or less. <laughs> Definitely a busy dude all the time. <laughs> Dave was a machine. Yeah. I I wish I I've wished since then that there would be some more Dave Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. So I I don't know if that'll ever happen. And and right now obviously is a particularly weird time to speculate about Dave's right. future. But yeah, he, he he worked really well with them. Yes. And then, so, you know, it's, it's kind of a concept album cause it's like driving from LA to Joshua tree. I believe it is. Yeah. I think that's what it was. And it's like going, all the tracks are weird radio station intros and outros and, and like turning the dial, trying to find a new station. So it's, that's kind of a weird theme throughout. 
but listening to to Dave's drumming throughout the album is just kind of hypnotic and Josh's singing. One bit of interesting trivia when it comes to uh, Dave. So on November 23rd, 2002, Grohl achieved a historical milestone by replacing himself on top of the billboard rock charts <laughs> when uh you know you're right by nirvana was replaced by all my life and then when all my life ended that run after one week of a respite period then no one knows replace that so for 18 straight weeks dave grohl had the number one song on the rock charts <laughs> and then not only that but all three different bands <laughs> i love that <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but yeah so i mean this album had no one knows and go with the flow and those were huge singles by queens of the stone age probably two of their biggest hits actually yeah just a really good album Absolutely. I love that vibe of Queens of the Stone Age. And I think Rated R came out and was kind of their breakthrough, but this one really sent them to another level, made it known that they were going to be a band that was sticking around for a while and, you know, in slightly rotating cast format, but still. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought was confusing is like, I thought Dave was a part of this band and then (laughs) being like the only album he did with them. Josh Holm really likes to kind of, rotate his collaborators he likes yeah. to experiment with you know working with different people and so um, i couldn't tell you exactly if there are two queens of the stone age albums that have the same exact lineup or not right i think dave worked on a couple of tracks on like clockwork a couple albums after this hmm. but uh he didn't he didn't do the whole album but uh um one of the more interesting uh radio call letters that they use in one of the tracks is w-o-m-b the womb (laughs) (laughs) which i just think is really funny while listening to the album (laughs) i actually listened to that album earlier today all the way through just for this episode and it was it was fun (laughs) yeah it has it by the way opens with the real song for the deaf and then there's the song for the dead yes and then at the end there's just the song for the deaf so there's a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah. Very, very interesting concept when it came to this album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So my next album that I want to talk about is the self-titled album from Audio Slave. Most people are probably well aware that uh, this album happened because Zach decided that Rage just wasn't cool enough for him anymore and that he needed to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's the close notes version. But before before you go too far into that, I, we talked about this in a future playlist wars episode uh, that Aaron and I are on, and there was there's in my research doing uh, a track off of this album. Critics hailed it as a combination of Soundgarden and Rage Against the Machine. That's a spot on <laughs> <Yeah>. comparison. <laughs> Very nice job, whoever wrote that up. Yeah, yeah he fucking nailed it. Superb <laughs> investigative reporting. Stupid people. So along those lines, yeah. So Zach, like I said, decided he was too cool for Rage. I guess Rage decided they still wanted to make music, and they didn't know who to, who to turn to. So they turned to Rick Rubin, and he suggested Chris Cornell. Uh, thank you, Rick. By the way, uh, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> appreciate so that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You are awesome. Yeah, you're the man. Yeah, so they hit it off really well. They made this album, and it was it was great. Like I, you know, when I first heard about it, I didn't think it was going to work because you know you're so used to Rage playing that that heavy, quick, fast paced style that was perfect for Zach and his rhymes. I didn't think that you know it was going to work too well with, with Chris and having such a melodic voice, but it, it was, it was amazing. I think like one of the first singles was, well, co- was Cochise. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. Yeah. It was, it was just awesome. You're just like, okay, this, this is going to be pretty awesome. All right. And then like, you know, like a stone came out and you're like, Whoa, this is good. He can, like the band can be melodic too. Holy cow. Like, I mean, and good at it. I absolutely love this album. Like every single track was, was great. I have to admit too, 
one of the reasons also why I fell in love with this album is because you, you know how you, I don't know about you guys, but like certain times in my life I associate to certain albums because at the time that this album came out, I just was listening to it all the time while playing my, Vice City. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anytime, like, I, I, I don't know why, I just always associate this album with Vice City. And it, it's actually this album and the other album I'm going to be talking about. Uh, because that's just all I was doing was like playing these uh, games and listening to music for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, yeah, the other album I was going to be talking about was was kind of a, a victim of the same thing. So one of the things that I thought was quite interesting about this album is I and I, I actually was one of them. But because back in 2002, Napster went down, but that didn't stop me. <laughs> I was still downloading songs illegally. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, especially when I went to college, because then yeah, I was gonna had, say most colleges had like those file sharing yeah, programs but, where you could just grab yeah. stuff off the network. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, me and my friends, we pirated everything. <laughs> yeah, we had we had so many people in the dorm, uh, just ripping CDs all the time, and then it would be yeah. on the shared network, and you could just like see everybody's files. Oh yeah, yep, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. <laughs> And so, like, I actually had this album before it was officially released because, actually, according to an interview uh, with, uh, who was it? I think Tom basically stated that some jackass intern at Bad Animal Studios in Seattle (laughs) stole the demos and put them on the internet without the band's permission. And so it was released prior to the band being ready for it to be released. And they were frustrated because they knew that it was being touted as a super group and they knew that they had high expectations and they wanted those songs to be perfect, obviously, when they were released. And, and they, they didn't feel that they were because they got released early. Not that all the tracks got released early, but, you know, some of those did. I actually had them early. I, it didn't it didn't ruin it for me. Yeah, they changed it. And I like the ultimate versions that made it on the album. I appreciate those versions more. But like I was so excited. I didn't care what the hell sounded like. I got to hear Audio Slave. That's all I wanted yep. to hear. <laughs> I got two notes to add to that one. <laughs> First off, this album was just so heavy hitting. They released five singles off of it. And frankly, they probably could have gotten about five more. Right. Were, I mean, think just gasoline, you know, hypnotize some of those like this. Those would have been perfectly fine on radio and they would have gone a long way. But like it was a solid piece of work. And then I have to make mention of the fact that the the cover art for the album was designed by Storm Thorgerson, who makes awesome cover art. He's he's most famously known as the guy who did most of Pink Floyd's albums. Yeah. And so and you can recognize his style. He it's it's very it's very recognizable. <laughs> and and the giant flame. Yeah. On, on this one is is a great piece of cover art. Yeah. You know, and I think just like the other album that I talked about with Disturbed, like you could sense a lot of Cornell's emotion in this album. And, I, you know, I didn't realize it, but uh, at the time, but apparently this was the album. He, he personally said that he uh, went through a horrible crisis during the making of this, this album. Mm-hmm. He actually was in rehab for two months and, and separated from his wife. But they did actually iron the problems out. He actually was sober after this, like basically during that rehab until his shortly before his passing in 2017. So it was it was kind of a a huge album personally for him uh, because he was going through a lot of shit trying to figure himself out. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I will say, like, I love Audio Slave and I love everything that they did, but there was nothing better than this album. They they never could top the success of this album. You know, the other two were were good. They had some great tracks off them. They had some tracks that might have been better than some of the tracks off of this. But like every single track off of this album, the the self titled one, was just amazing. Like you could, in fact, I think we have played every single song off this album at one point or another on our show. I think so. Yeah. Maybe one or two, not as often, but yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just a, a phenomenal album, every single track. And it's 14 tracks. Right. It's un- unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot a lot of them are five and a half minutes exactly. long. <laughs> Which was, was actually pretty long for Rage Against the Machine themselves. I don't think that Rage had any long songs like that. No, that was definitely the, the Soundgarden. <laughs> yeah. Part, the Cornell part coming in there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. 
my second album is is definitely not a super group. It was a much on the other end of the spectrum. It was a younger band trying to break through. And that is the band that was my favorite for a very long time in in this whole arena. And that is Project 86 with Truthless Heroes. Again, just like the Blindside one in the same timing. And, and there's a lot. They ran a lot of same circles. This one came out on Tooth and Nail and Atlantic, and it was their major label debut. Also debuted on the top 200 uh, at number 146. It was the follow up to one of my personal most important heavy albums in my development, which was 2000's Drawing Black Lines. And this album, it went in a different direction and a pretty bleak direction. Yeah, so Andrew Schwab, the singer, (laughs) he said that the idea is a 13 song story about this, this kid who's kind of ignored by his family and friends and everybody. And so he channels that self-loathing into pursuing greatness. So he's, you know, he's on this journey and it's taking him through this attempt to satisfy all of his deepest needs. He says, as through fame, fortune, lust, whatever, he says, it's kind of a tragic Shakespearean story because it doesn't necessarily have a happy resolution. Um, and, you know, I was kind of into some of that angsty stuff at the time. It doesn't appeal to me as much today as I went through it. I was like, I was like, they're a little bit too much, but there's still some fantastically catchy stuff on here. And there's a few tracks that um, I still really love to listen to. Uh, And on top of that, like despite how grim some of it is, it's also the first album that where they had Randy Torres, their guitarist did some singing on it. Um, Schwab is not really a singer. He is really more of a yeller. He, he kind of, he kind of barks at you. Yeah. It's like, he kind of sings in all caps. Yes, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Randy, on the other hand, can actually sing. And so they use him for backing vocals on a lot of tracks. And I thought that added a ton to their sound from where they were before. The first two albums they had was definitely Andrew barking at you uh, very loudly. And so so this was some good diversity. It was also um, a very ill-fated and their only foray into writing an album on a major label. And the experience traumatized them so much that... <laughs> Uh, their next album, Songs to Burn Your Bridges By, which you can you can probably gather a little bit just by that title. Uh, most of that album was about how awful the experience was for them to be uh, on Atlantic and how this this, you know, this attempt to break through and their their sort of brush with fame made them miserable. Yeah, so it, it had a lot of interesting elements going for it. The other most interesting one to me, there was there was one single release from this album and it was called Hollow Again. And there's 17 tracks on this album and Hollow Again is track 16. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever seen a band release their single from the butt end of the album. (laughs) It's the the final it's the final full track because the last track 17 is basically a spoken outro. Yeah. And so. That I think that's so weird to this day. I'm like, but what? But why? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense because it's sort of a concept album. But yeah, yeah, they chose the closer as their as their single. Yeah, and this had quite a few like intro transition tracks on it. Yeah, there's it, there's um there's a series of segues throughout the album, basically about corporatism, and uh, they form a sentence when you put them together. So that's cute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that's my number two project 86 they would continue to be my favorite band for a few more albums after this until i kind of faded away from them but i definitely recommend checking this one out and then checking out songs to burn your bridges by to see where their actual bitterness kicks in after writing a song about this kind of jaded fictional character <laughs> yeah this this album had a lot of good tracks i thought At track one little green man you had uh Track eight, your your heroes are dead. Your heroes are dead is the single I probably would have released. Yeah, um, we used to play another boredom movement once in a while. It was a really heavier one for that for them. Yes, and yeah. uh, probably shelter me was a good one. Yep. Yeah, so there's your quick little um, flavor of the week for that album as well. <laughs> if you if you want to go through a handful of tracks. Yes, that is my two. What you got, Casey? We're halfway through now. My second album I'm bringing to the table is By the Way by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Speaking of Rick Rubin earlier, uh, Rick Rubin 
helped produce this album. And Rick Rubin is always good with the Chili Peppers. Yeah, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully you specified that. We we appreciate Rick Rubin. Yes, he does things. He does good things. Yeah, and he's and he's crazy looking. <laughs> Very just yes fun. <laughs> What's interesting about, by the way, this was off of the success of Californication, but it was largely written by John Frusciante. It was actually he considered this the the happiest time of his life, like writing this album. <laughs> Because he had like the most creative freedom out of anybody in the band, I, th- I guess. I don't, I don't know if that was strategic on the band's part, trying to like keep him happy and a part of the band. But uh, <laughs> it was definitely different uh, as far as style wise. Because you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers are usually funk rock based, and this this kind of took a turn and had a lot of. Uh, like Spanish influences and some some weird like pedal effect sounds that they didn't really use on their previous albums and uh, just kind of interesting overall sound. Had some great, great singles on it, like, by the way. Can't Stop had some quality funk to it. Yeah, Can't Stop was great. And it, it had a lot of, uh, I don't know if, if hippie would be the right terminology, but like, the Zephyr song and <laughs> yeah, just chill mellow kind of. Yeah. Had a lot of just chill sounds. And uh, again, back to the, the Spanish part, like uh, Calbron <laughs> De- definitely had some fiesta sounds in there, <laughs> but uh, it, I don't know if this, it, I don't know if this would be considered like as big as Californication in a lot of people's minds, but it, it was just kind of a a continuation of that. And then obviously after this album, they just went crazy with Stadium Arcadium, but <laughs> that they did. Yeah. You know, I, I, those are like my favorite three uh, Chili Pepper albums. I mean, there's great ones. Like, don't get me wrong. Their, their first couple of Blood, Sex, Surgery, Magic, and or even the ones around that. But I, I don't know. I just, I, this is like when I fell in love with the chili peppers was right around this time is, you know, cause I was already a fan of Californication. I, you know, I was kind of hearing them on the radio, but like when this album came out, like, yeah, I was, I was sold. I was like, I, I really like this band. And I, so I think when I started getting their albums and listening to their music more, they like to stack those albums. This one's got 16 tracks on it. And then yeah. as you mentioned, stadium arcadium, <laughs> double disc went even further with a double disc <laughs> so the chili peppers are definitely a, a a quantity band at that point they're like here's a bunch of songs for you to enjoy their newest one is the same this it's a lot of tracks on it and so i guess that gives you a, a lot of opportunities to find something to like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well, well speaking of another album with a lot of tracks on it go <laughs> into my next and final album so much like Audio Slave, this album also suffered the same fate where their songs got stolen and they were uh, put out on the Internet and the band decided they didn't want them to be released like that. They wanted the true versions of the songs to be released. Uh, so System of a Down released Steal This Album. Uh, and, you know, it's crazy, like Toxicity was amazing uh it it was a great album it had such great continuity from the beginning to end but this album is great too like it it doesn't have any continuity it it doesn't i mean it's a hodgepodge of songs (laughs) it's not meant to have any continuity right right um it was basically a bunch of tracks that were left over from the toxicity recordings they when they went in to record this was a band at the time that could just poop out songs like they literally <laughs> i'm not even joking like you That's could one way to put it <laughs> like there were live, there was live performances where they would just make up songs live yeah. they had such great chemistry at the time that they they just fed off each other and, and like serge would just make up random lyrics and just be like oh that's a song <laughs> yeah right song number one song number two and granted some of them were like a minute long like you know yeah sure. bubbles <laughs> uh pictures is what i was thinking of that's i'm sorry 36 36 yeah, 46, 46, yeah. yeah 36 is 46 seconds i don't know why 
Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> why didn't they? Why didn't they call it forty six? Come on, guys. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah, bubbles was a minute fifty six, but most of them were right around the two minute mark. Yeah, uh, on, on all this, on all, all these tracks. Uh, but I'm I'm glad that they released it. And the funny thing is that when when they released it, every one of the artists uh, or musicians, sorry, in the band designed an album cover. Oh, and so yeah, they all there was four different album covers. Technically, they weren't really album covers because they didn't have like a book with it because they wanted to look like a bootleg CD. Still, right, right. Yeah, I love that it just looked like a CDR. No. Yeah, so there was there was five different versions of this uh, of the CDR or whatever the CD the artwork covered, yeah. released because each one of the artists had one, and then also they had just like the plain kind of steal this album uh, yeah. artwork. Hmm. Uh, so you should look it up because I had the Darren Malakian. I still have it actually. The Darren yeah. Malakian one where it looks like uh, two people are doing it. <laughs> uh, it's just and it, it's it looks two, it's like two V's, but yeah. they're like. They're look- going around the circle. It's it's really crazy looking, but yeah. And it looks like a four year old drew it, but yeah. Yes, <laughs> it does. If if two <laughs> stick figures were doing it, that would be that album cover. Yep. I just want to note, just thinking about that, like like these were songs that they were working on for Toxicity that they didn't they they said okay, like these aren't just B sides or bad songs. They just didn't fit, you know, as they were trying to piece Toxicity together to be what it is. Basically, yeah. like. You look at this album for one, it's probably my favorite personal system album. And it think about the fact that they functionally had a double disc worth of high quality stuff recorded in those sessions, or at least mostly recorded in those sessions. Yeah, that's just that's wild. They were really firing on all cylinders at that point. So funny, funny story about this album. So for one, this album contains like so many of my favorite like system of a down songs like I, there's just something about chicken stew that makes chicken me laugh stew. every freaking time I listen to it. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, during Mr. Jack, like you truly feel Darren's hatred when you hear him screaming in the back, fuck you pig. Fuck you pig. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you, you just, you get that sense that he does not like cops. Um, <laughs> and then, and <laughs> Um, it's just it's just fucking awesome all the way up and down the, like you know the highway song which hi, highway song so funny story this is what I I absolutely love this album too because I still have the original versions of these songs the ones that I quote quote on stole <laughs> the one um, the ones that you contributed in in the stealing of of said album of said yes album. exactly <laughs> and, and the highway song was one that they truly did not do good justice to um it, it was a song that when I really when I got the early version of it like there's this weird breakdown that he does in the in the pre-release version um where he's like like, he just makes this funny ass noise it's awesome it works well with the song and they took that out when they released it they took it out i was so pissed so i i still have like i'm actually pretty sure i played that on the air before the original version because i think it's way better it's like it, it just makes my day hearing it this is why you got to listen to the itch Sunday nights from six to nine p.m. Central Time on eighty nine one The Wood. Exactly. You never know what you're going to hear. You never you, know. You might get System of a Down demos, and that's good yes. stuff. <laughs> yeah, because I, I I have played a lot of System of a Down demos, and that's because again they they release they have all this music that they create, but they didn't release it all. Like the, right. there's still songs that didn't get released from the from uh from their recordings, the same recordings. It didn't make it on to uh, steal this album as well. Mm. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Lots of songs for system. <laughs> Cause they released like one as like a, a soundtrack. Yeah. There was just like a couple other songs that, that were uh, supposed to be on this, but they didn't get released. Like a, a song called virginity, which is like one of my favorite uh, unreleased tracks that you'll never hear about. Um. <laughs> I think Dan's talking himself into playing this stuff on the air this week on, oh, oh, on the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was yeah, there's just a couple other songs. Frick, honey, blue. Frick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and Johnny. Johnny didn't make the album. Yeah, they, Johnny. they released Johnny eventually on like a B side or a single or something, but Johnny didn't make the album either, did it? I don't believe so. Yeah. Nope. No. So yeah. 
I mean, there was all kinds of songs uh, that that were great and didn't quite make the this album. But I was already a huge fan before of System of a Down. Like when Toxicity was released, I I don't think that I listened to anything different for six months straight. And then you know this kind of was leaked, and then they're like, well, let's just go ahead and release it. And so I think. Like System of Down pretty much ruled my life of music for <laughs> almost a year and a half, two years straight. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> Understandable. It was great. Um, but one one funny story that I read about this album that I just wanted to share because I thought it was kind of funny. Um, so one of my favorite songs off this is I-E-A-I-A-I-O. Yes. Um, because the song just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> nope. uh, it, it It's just, it's it Serge at his best when he writes goofy songs like that. Like I just, I, I think it's amazing. Like it has nothing to do with hardly anything, but it, it makes sense, I guess. Um, so there's a funny story that John tells about the, one of the lyrics in that song uh, says it was inspired by an encounter that he had with Knight Rider actor, David Hasselhoff in a liquor store in Los Angeles when he was around 12. Uh, he's, he said that he was getting a drink. David Hasselhoff was getting a drink, not an alcoholic beverage. It was just like a soda or something <laughs> walking out. He walked out of the, of the gas or the liquor store. And like, he couldn't believe it. He, he's like, I'm, I'm here in front of Knight Rider. And so he said, Knight Rider. And he, uh, and David Hasselhoff looked at him and said, Hey kid, and pointed his finger at him cowboy style. And so when he told Serge that, Serge said, okay, so the lyrics, meeting at Don Dale, meeting John at Dale Jr.'s, winked an eye, pointed a finger, and Dale Jr.'s was the liquor store name, so there you go. This, <laughs> so, a little insight to some of the lyrics of that song. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's just a crazy song. Like, the whole album was all crazy. It was just fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of uh, craziness, but a lot of also good political stuff, too. Right, yeah. That's the sum of Down's forte. Craziness yeah. and political stuff. <laughs> <laughs> a mix and match. Very much so. To my last album is one that is decidedly unpolitical in, in just about every way. Uh, <laughs> and that is Our Lady Peace with the album Gravity. This was the follow-up to their 2000, I believe, album Spiritual Machines. This was them changing things up quite a bit. This was uh, a couple of things. For one, the first album they did that wasn't produced by Arnold Lanny, who was did their first four, though it was actually his idea that they needed to basically go expand their horizons and see what else was out there so they didn't regret you know, not working with different people, which we'll come back to in a second here. They It was also the first album that the band released with Steve Mazur as their guitarist, though he didn't really take part in the songwriting Mike Turner, their previous guitarist, ap- appears on like half the tracks in the album and seems to have done most of the writing for it. But they essentially parted ways because they I- I've not seen somebody put it this bluntly, but basically they they said that his abilities were holding them up or maybe I should say lack of abilities. Like I'm like, I felt like that was a harsh thing to say for a dude who had been with the band for as long as he had and wrote so many killer tracks with them. But that's between them, I suppose. And now Steve took over after that. Um, so this was a major shift in style. Most, If you're listening to this podcast, you almost certainly know what Our Lady Peace's trademark sound is. You've heard Superman's Dead and Clumsy and, and all of those. Um, this is where Bob Rock entered the picture. <laughs> I'm gonna and- say I'm going to say he did well by them. But there's more of a story to it. In certain aspects, yes. In other aspects, you could argue that they lost a little bit of their sound. But yeah, it depends on what you're going for. So so the story was um, their plan was to go back and they were going to do release a live album based on the Spiritual Machines tour. And they were going to record just a few songs with Bob to tag on like some new tracks at the end. Um, And then Bob Bob was scheduled to go work with Metallica again. Um, And. (laughs) conveniently for our lady peace, I suppose that that same time, James Hetfield checked himself into rehab. And so Bob Rock's schedule opened up and he was like, so you guys want to do a whole album? And our lady peace was like, yep, let's do that. Mm. And so, I mean, and rain, the singer of our lady peace has gone on record and saying what you would expect. He's like, but 
Bob Rock style is simplify. You know, they're used to putting on these layers and doing this quirky stuff. And Bob's like, no, strip it down. Keep it simple. Even the lyrics. Bob's like, I don't know what you're talking about with your weird, ambiguous lyrics. Make them more straightforward. <laughs> and so Rain did. <laughs> and in many cases, I think we the itch largely agrees that that has Bob's effect has maybe been the opposite of what Rick Rubin does to many bands. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I was, but in, in, our lady, in Our Lady Peace's case, though, um, for a lot of people, this had some of the bigger singles or more... I guess radio friendly singles. Oh, that they, un- undeniably. Yeah. I mean, think think about it. Their their breakthrough album was clumsy in '97. They yeah. had they had two albums between that because he had Happiness and then Spiritual Machines. Those were still notable albums, but this album shot them back up into yeah into radio stardom again. It was kind of like when uh, when Green Day was like slowly on the yeah. downswing and they're releasing yeah. like Warning and stuff. It was like here's some small hits. And then they did American Idiot and they were huge. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit like that to me. They they re- they really leaned into this more radio friendly sound and style. You know, mm-hmm. he tones back a little bit of his nasaliness, but not entirely. And a little right. bit of his of his lyrical weirdness, but not entirely. And then to me, so I, especially at this point in my life, I was a sucker for bands getting heavier. And this is most definitely Our Lady Peace's heaviest album, um, despite it having, you know, the most accessible singles like somewhere out there and innocent. Yeah. It also has like, if you leave that, listen to that lead track on the album, it's called all for you mm-hmm. um, or not enough later on in it. That is, there's like borderline metal going on in there, which is not something that they really do to that point or even much since then, yeah. uh, probably at all since then. So, so to me, it was interesting. This, this to me just felt like it gave the band a second wind. Um, and so I can definitely see people who are like, you know, you the same thing they said about Metallica when, when Bob Rock did the, the Black Album. OK, you sold yeah. out, but also you leveled up in terms of your, you know, notoriety reach. Yeah, yeah, your reach. And so it's a trade off and you got to decide if that's worth it to you. For me, that was worth it on Our Lady Peace. And if I'm being honest, I have not liked a single one of their albums since then. Yeah, as much as this one bar maybe their newest one they just came out with spiritual machines too and it's actually really good but the the ones in between um i'll put it this way this is the last our lady peace album where just by seeing the titles i know exactly what track is what what each track is you could give me song titles from their more recent albums and i forget what they are because they didn't connect with me at all yeah so yeah this is a big one i don't know what you guys thoughts were, were on it or if you had any thoughts especially at the time um, but my, my thoughts were that number one, Our Lady Peace always kind of had, you know, a handful of songs that were like super long and just kind of like jam bandy. Mm-hmm. And this album didn't really have any of that. It was all straightforward singles, about three and a half minutes long. And, uh, so it was, it was definitely more radio friendly in that regard, but, um, I don't know. It just, a, a lot of the album kind of blends together for me it kind of mm. sounds samey in a lot of ways but i think like you said that's kind of bob rock's forte yeah <laughs> yeah and again I, I most of the time i will criticize that guy i just happen to personally really like yeah. this album <laughs> he did do he, he did do right by them in this case i think he he did healthy and paranoid times their next album and i didn't think that was nearly as good so yeah. maybe his influence didn't last very very long very well well, I think it was needed at the time because I don't, I don't think Spiritual Machines was that strong of an album. Uh, but because I mean, I'll be honest, like I didn't when when this album came out, like what I knew, I didn't really know much about Our Lady Peace. When I saw them live, it was one of those kind of like light bulbs. Like, hey, I know this song. Hey, I know this song too. I know this song. Yeah, I know this song too. <laughs> Wait, who is this band? Like, what? Oh, Our Lady Peace. Oh, okay. Like that's that literally happened when I saw them for the first time live. <laughs> every single song i knew but i had no idea that they were called our lady peace or who who it was, who it was. yeah yeah I just knew they were all on the radio and i knew all the songs <laughs> that was their thing yeah i mean i mean clumsy was their big album in, in 97 and the ones after that were were big enough but they certainly hadn't reached that level they had singles one man army and some stuff like that uh life but they weren't superman's dead level 
and then they they bust out somewhere out there and yeah it is pure radio rock but <laughs> but it's the biggest single that they've had since since then 20 years now right um and granted yeah. radio singles aren't everything but i still think that's worth noting yeah definitely so that's that's my third album yeah so <laughs> you know if you want to sell your soul and uh uh, become a little bit more popular. Bob Rock will probably give you the contract. Just <laughs> sign on the dotted line. Yes. It may or may not work. Just ask the offspring. It did not work for the offspring. <laughs> That's another episode for another day. <laughs> I, just, I had to throw another one out there. So. <laughs> another dig at Bob Rock. I mean, you know, we touted him on this. I got to put him back down to, to normal. Right. <laughs> Then he went ahead and started ruining Metallica again. Yeah. Casey, what is what is your what is album nine on our on our 10 albums here? The yeah, the final album that I'm bringing to the table before our final collective uh, contribution is Chevelle's masterpiece. Wonder what's next. And for a lot of people, I feel like this album was the the one that kind of launched Chevelle into a lot of people's ears because this album had so many hits on it. I mean, even if it wasn't considered a single, I mean, we we've played, you, you mentioned playing most of most of the system stuff. Uh, We've played basically this entire album on the show as well. And uh, it was a major staple of the first, the early years of the itch. Yes, definitely. That and the follow-up album. Correct. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you had The Red, you had Comfortable Liar, you had Send the Pain Below. Um, Closure. Closure. I was was trying to think of what the next single was. But, yeah. (laughs) Um, One of my personal favorites on this album is... uh, an e- evening with El Diablo because just has a really sick bass line throughout the entire song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love those jam band type songs when Chevelle does that too. Yeah. Like those are some of my favorite Chevelle songs. Right. And uh, we referenced this on the Playlist Wars episode. Uh, the song Comfortable Liar uh, was a good indicator in college uh, on if you had a good sound system or not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I have a distinct memory of a friend bumping that track in in his crusty old car and just <laughs> rattling the entire vehicle like to the core. I was like, that is awesome. <laughs> Man, I remember turning songs on like that and like getting the the RN to come over to my and like, turn this down, turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> no. Rocking out. Yeah, I had those big uh those Kenwood big speakers. speakers, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I had that big Kenwood speakers. Yeah, they were awesome. They were twelves, shaking 12s. the walls, shaking the asbestos off the walls. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was just bringing the house down literally. Uh, so yeah, this was Chevelle. Might some people might not know? Like this is actually Chevelle's second uh, major release. Um, point number one was their first album. This was their second. Like you said, it did definitely propelled them uh, with those big singles. I didn't know who they were until this album came around. And then like the red was released and then like, yeah, you, you just can't stop hearing it. Like to this day, yeah. it's, yeah, it's still played way too much. Like closure too. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And send the pain below. Not so much as the other two, but yeah, like there was around a year and a half that they spanned out their singles and they only released three. Yeah. And they spanned them out for almost like 18 months. Right. I would say that Chevelle is one of those bands that really nails it with their singles because, you know, on each album, like there's at least one like lead single that, that kills it. Like, you know, Vitamin R and The Clincher after that. Um, I Get It was a huge one on Venus yeah. Era. Face to the floor, hats off to the bull. Like they just, they just kept them coming. They're a band that has continued to make quality albums to all the way to now. This one remains their biggest one and probably their most loved one. But uh, that's not to say that the rest didn't follow up pretty well. 
But yeah. I mean, think about that. So like the red was playing for basically six months or, you know, yeah, yeah. it was eight months technically. Yeah. Heavy close rotation, to, a, close yeah. to a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before it was, before the next song was released. Mm-hmm. And then it was the same thing. Like send the pain below was really, was, uh, played for almost nine months before the next single was released <laughs> yeah they got a lot of staying power those singles did yeah yeah they they milked their singles on this album uh and i think that's one reason why i mean they were great singles don't get me wrong but yeah like i i love this album and i i, I i'm not gonna lie though like when i listen to this album i almost s- skip like those songs just for those for that particular reason <laughs> i love the other songs so much more on this yeah. album like the whole album's you, great you can just but go straight I, to just, side b yeah <laughs> yeah right I, I just can't like I, I can't deal with hearing those songs anymore they've, they've worn themselves out on me yeah you can listen to to track two comfortable liar and then jump to like track so what track what's six. next yeah, yeah track yeah, six exactly. <laughs> that's what i do and I hate to say it, like, even when it comes up on, like, because, you know, I, I guess maybe that's the issue is I listen to, like, a lot of these streaming apps and this, because those are some of the most popular Chevelle songs and everybody wants to hear, they're always going to come up more often. And so I, I like, you know, I skip them. That's, that's like, <laughs> like, I love you, Chevelle, but not this song. I'm done. I want to note that I feel like this album might be one of the few missing pieces from my vinyl collection. So... <laughs> If anybody out there loves the itch and Chevelle and wants to hook me up, then <laughs> you're more than welcome to. I will accept a vinyl copy of Wonder What's Next. Are you going to start having Amazon wish list and we'll start tagging that at the end of the show? If you'd like there to buy us some stuff, visit visit the itch <laughs> visit Amazon wish list. Visit, visit Aaron's <laughs> Amazon wish list. If I thought people would do it, I absolutely would. <laughs> Instead of Patreon, buy us some crap. But it will tell you exactly what we want and where your money is going. It's going to get me vinyl. <laughs> That's terrible. All right. Well, there was there was another album that probably wouldn't be wouldn't hurt to have on vinyl that the itch kind of decided was our collective representation um, of this year. And so that album is uh, Breaking Benjamin's Saturate. Yep. And that's another reason why I wanted to go last to kind of lead in from Chevelle to breaking Benjamin. Cause they always toured together in St. Louis and we they saw did. them tons and tons and tons of times. These two bands are neck and neck for, for yeah, probably bands double, di- we- double digit watch or yeah. watches <laughs> at the very least, at the very least, I would say like, they're probably the two bands the, that we collectively have seen the most, yes. or like seen the most together yes. kind of thing. They're way up there and St. Louis, all loves of the above a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with that. I know that Shine Down and Seether are probably up there too, but like, yeah, this this band is, pro- yeah, I, I up to like ten, maybe eleven times of seeing them live. Like, they're just they're fucking awesome. <laughs> they love St. Louis, and St. Louis loves them. So, yeah, and I, I, you know, that's the one thing that I will say. The point got right. Uh, they they kind of clung on to this band real early threw them in their point fest lineup and the fans of St. Louis just loved them, treat them as like their own. And the band loved that. And like, as the band grew, they, they never forgot about how they, you know, they yeah. felt when Saint, they performed at St. Louis. Yeah. Ben, Ben never forgot after he booted the rest of the band out. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think wasn't St. Louis, one of the first shows they played when they yes. re yeah, yeah. When they reformed when saw yes. that live. Yeah. Yep. yep. Cause he's like, you know, I gotta. If I'm gonna do this again, this is where I'm starting. Like, yeah, that's right. We haven't played Point Fest in like four years. We need to do it again. I know, and I'm tired of seeing Seether and Shine (laughs) Down. Bring back Chevelle and Breaking Benjamin. (laughs) That's right. At this point, we can call it a way back Point Fest, and that's fine. This album is 20 years old, but it's still. This album, Saturate, was freaking definitive for me for that year. Like, because this was like the album I feel like transitioned with me from high yeah. school to college. Like, I have yeah. memories of listening to and seeing them live and, and loving to see this band with high school friends and then the same in college as well. Yeah. And so it was a real holdover and just full of, of banger tracks. So I want to say that's one of the first shows that we 
collectively saw together was Breaking Benjamin and Chevelle at the pageant, I think. Almost certainly. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Very, very likely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I have to say that uh, one of the... One of the reasons why I fell in love, and this is kind of sad, I'm not gonna lie, uh, <laughs> with this album was because of a girl. Uh, it happens. Like sh- she was a big fan of this album, not my wife, so I'm not gonna mention her name. Uh, but uh, <laughs> she, she was uh, a big fan of this album, and so when we were dating and hanging out a lot, you know, she always wanted to hear this album. And it grew on me. It was one of those things like I, I just, you know, I kind of liked it at first and <laughs> then I just fell in love with it. And then, of course, like you said, you know, seeing it live. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Right. This remains my favorite Breaking Benjamin album. Um, I have a lot of love for We're Not Alone, but this to me, I, I don't know if this is really the right way to put it, but this to me was the band at their happiest, if that makes sense. I yeah. feel like I feel like later on, Ben tried to get um i don't know he just he just sounded heavier in what he was singing and at this point they just felt like a fun they were they just had a fun sound yeah yeah this was this was them uh just kind of riffing and and just kind of creating new things and then it kind of got uh i don't know the word i'm looking for nah sorry scratch we'll scratch that part (laughs) No, I, I, th- I think you're right, though. I think he, you know, when he was writing this album, it was just about fun things, just different random things like, the, you know, the song Home, for instance, is, is literally about like Wizard of Oz, or at least right. that's how yeah. I took it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I like I don't think that there's like deep meanings behind these songs. I think that what happened is as the band evolved and he evolved, I think he started using music to get a lot of his feelings out. Um, yeah. And so the, the music and the sound changed, the, the lyrics changed because it was it was a, a way for him to uh, release his emotion. Um, but yeah, I, I, I truly love this album. Like it, it's got some of my favorite songs of all time, like Sugarcoat. One of the one of my greatest memories of, of all uh, was seeing Sugarcoat live. Um, I don't remember the year, but it was a Jägermeister tour where uh Stereo Mud, Systematic, Breaking Benjamin, Head PE, and Saliva were all on tour together. And the lead singer of Head PE came out and sang the screaming part of Sugarcoat. And it was just the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen. I think it was one of the first collaborations I've ever got to see, too. Yeah. Um, personally. And it was just it was just amazing because Jared's voice was just built for that screaming part. And like it, the way it was done was so cool, too, because Jared had these super long dreads at the time he had, he always wore this big ball cap. And so when the band started playing sugarcoat, Jerry came out on stage and stood in front of a mic and he was kind of in dark, but like you, you knew it was him obviously. Yeah. Cause you just, well, for one, you just, uh, no, he, I don't remember who was, no. I, so he was getting ready to go on stage. Breaking Benjamin was on before head PE, if I remember correctly. Um, so you knew it was him and and like he just was silent until that screaming part came out or came up. And then all of a sudden you see him grab the mic and he just leans in and screams. You're just like, holy cow, this is amazing. Because <laughs> uh, it, it, it's it's a wow, what did I just do? What did, you know, like, oh, my God, like just hearing Jared sing that. And like <laughs> it, it was awesome because then later in that concert, when Head P.E. was on stage, they started playing Feel Good. And the song on the recording features morgan from kitty and then uh it also features serge tankian yeah. of system of a down and ben came out and sang serge's part and then obviously jared just screamed kitty's part the lead singer of kitty's part <laughs> yeah. uh and it, it was just amazing so like that was not only was that my first time seeing collaboration but they collaborated with both of each other and it was just it was so awesome it was just so cool to see like great music being made and both of them working so well with, with the songs that they chose for each other. Yeah. Yep. These guys uh, are yeah, killers. So that's, yeah. That's one reason why I absolutely love this album. It's like <laughs> it's sugar coat is on it. And that's, that's probably my favorite bacon Benjamin song of all time. Yeah. Yep. That's another thing I liked about the album is that, that my, I think my favorite track changed half yeah. times. Just the, well, more that- I to it, the more I found stuff I really dug. Well, it's funny because you have like Shallow Bay and then they kind of like would call back to that over and over and over and all, all their other albums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
this album really is definitely a representation of where we were all at at that time and and the kind of music that that really led us to format what the itch became and as you know if you've listened to us on the radio or this podcast bands like this you know we still cover pretty frequently including some of these bands whenever they do stuff and so um (laughs) yeah this is this is history and a little bit of present as well but um 10 albums turning 20 um I guess congratulations to them to each. I don't know. Like, <laughs> why not? Yeah. <laughs> They're inanimate their objects. Power. They don't know. Huh? For their staying power. Yeah. Some of them really did. And so, yep, this was good. I'm glad we did this one, guys. We were doing a lot of current um, new releases and upcoming bands. It's nice to reach back into the archives and, and reminisce about some old favorites as well once in a while. So we'll probably be mixing and matching a little bit of that more in the future too. Yeah. yeah especially, well, especially for music that made such an impact on us. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I always enjoy when we do these uh, 10 turning, whatever uh, number we could do, <laughs> we could do full episodes like, like discography, like history lesson episodes on almost any of these bands that would be, totally worthwhile if we ever wanted to there i'm not saying we're gonna because it would be yeah. heck of an undertaking but we could <laughs> <laughs> definitely but uh we would like to thank you the listener for for listening to us and uh we got some some cool stuff in the works that hopefully will uh pan out <laughs> yeah stay tuned for some upcoming interviews and uh also as we kind of march toward episode 100 and our two-year anniversary we're pretty hyped about yeah and while we don't have an Amazon wish list, we do have a website and socials and some merch. So if you feel like going to itchrocks.com and checking out all of those things, you are more than encouraged to do so. We love getting feedback from people and and we love every once in a while getting a couple dollars from people. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a great way to, to figure out what people are enjoying and where we can go next and how we can continue to hopefully improve. Yeah, and if you would like to do so as well, you can leave us uh, some reviews if you would like. Wherever you listen to it, we'll love it. We'll check it out. We'll shout you out. We'll hit you up and give you a personal thank you. We love that. Even if it's not a perfect, this is this is the best podcast ever review. We're fine with that. You Just be real about it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for listening to the Itch Podcast. My name is Dan. I'm Casey. And I'm Aaron. And until next time. Rock on. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend about the show. We've got plenty of links in the show notes to continue the conversation, including the episode's playlist. And you can interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, or through Gmail and itchrocks.com, all at itchrocks, I-T-C-H-R-O-C-K-S.